Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Happy Sweet 16 Day to everybody involved. I hope your college basketball gambling treats you well. You need a little light reading for maybe halftime, maybe between games. You can head on over to chrisrawl.com. Have some essays up if you've not read them. You should because they're good. And I'm proud of them and I took a lot of time writing them. Now we move on to today's show where the NFL offseason somehow gets even crazier. My friends, the wheel never stops turning. I keep thinking that we're done with seismic shifts in the NFL landscape, and I keep being wrong. Every single time that it happens, I go, what's, what, what? And a new star quarterback is traded or signed somewhere. A new star wideout is shifted. Bunch of draft picks are going here, going there. It somehow has not stopped. And I'm at the point now where I just assume this will be life for the rest of time. Stars swapping places, draft picks going to and fro. And that is what is going to be my life and the life of every NFL fan moving forward. Now, I want to start today's show talking a little bit about motivation because I'm obsessed with understanding motivation and how it works within my own life. It's something that I reflect on a lot. Just simple stuff like what gets me up in the morning. What makes me excited about this day? A little bit more complex things. What am I looking for professionally? That kind of stuff. This has led me down a road where I go, you know what? I really love golf. And how can I maximize that? Not necessarily that I'm pursuing a professional career in it because I'm not. I'm not that good at it. But I've come to the understanding that this is something that genuinely motivates me. It's something that I love to do. I want to get better at. and just want to do it as much as I can. It's sometimes all that I want to do. So when I understand that, I go, okay, great. My spare time going to cater towards that, which to me seems very reasonable. It's kind of a simple connection of logic points. And to other people, it seems not so reasonable. Some people voice that to me, go, I can't believe this is very strange and weird and you should do other things. And I go, yeah, that's fair from your vantage point, but this is a decision for me. And so at that point, I'm very content doing what I do. Now, I bring that up because everybody has a different standard for what is reasonable and acceptable motivation. Never forget this. My standards for myself, they're going to be very different from what a lot of you listening have for yourselves. That's fine. That's not wrong or right. It's just the way that life goes. Now, we always will superimpose our understanding of motivation and what it is to ourselves onto other people, which in a roundabout way, I will be doing today as I seek to understand some of the moves that are occurring within the NFL. Now, again, I want to make it very clear. (laughs) We each have our own standards for ourselves. That's really all that matters. So as long as you're content and comfortable with the decision that you make about what motivates you and what you choose to pursue, I'm happy for you. That's great. Now, with this obsession of understanding motivation, how it applies to myself and then applying it, An offshoot of that is trying to understand the motivation of others. I really find it to be quite fascinating. Just the armchair psychologist. Hey, why did that person make that decision? It's something that I love doing and talking about with people in my life. Uh, It's just, again, a, a really fascinating thing to try and unravel the human brain when it's not your own. It's fascinating with yourself. At least you can sometimes understand it with others. Many times I'm kind of at a loss. Now, As it pertains to motivation, there are kind of three things that I want to talk about that are really relevant for today's show. 
money, notoriety, and situation. Those three things. Three things that uh, I think all of us kind of want on some level. How much we want each of those things varies individual to individual. But in an ideal world, I think all of us would say, yeah, I'd like all three of those things to the very best that I can get them. Uh, I think we all want to understand how these three things work together. Money and notoriety and situation. And if that even matters, do they work in unison? Do they work against one another? If I had to choose just one, what would I choose? All of the questions that tie into motivation. So I'm going to start the actual discussion of today's show with a player from the NBA. And it's going to segue into what is happening in the NFL, specifically the trades of Devontae Adams from Green Bay to the Las Vegas Raiders and the most recent seismic shift, which is Tyreek Hill going from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins. I want to talk about motivation for individuals. I want to talk about motivation for teams. And I want to try and unpack where these players and where these teams are coming from as we see incredible chess pieces being rearranged on the board. So the player that I'll start with in the NBA is Kyrie Irving, who I watched last night play against the Memphis Grizzlies. You can say a lot of things about Kyrie Irving because he's a pretty strange fellow. As a person who separates the art from the artist, I take a lot of enjoyment from watching Kyrie Irving play basketball. He's on the short list of players in my lifetime that I would say possess about as much offensive skill as anybody. That's a very short list when I get through people that I think are more gifted offensively than Kyrie Irving. He's up there amongst anybody that I've ever watched. Alongside that, he is one of the most fun basketball players I have ever watched in my life. It's tied into that offensive skill set that Kyrie brings to the table. Silky smooth everything. He can score at all three levels. Incredible finishing touch around the rim with both hands, despite the fact that he's smaller than pretty much everybody. Just an ability to go nuclear, shooting the basketball from anywhere and everywhere, uh, as he did last night in a loss against Memphis. But Kyrie Irving is an incredibly fun and talented basketball player. Now, we know in present day that it is impossible to understand anything about the motivation of Kyrie Irving. Dude who marches to the beat of his own drum, which is his right. He should. I'm not going to get on his case for doing that. Now, we didn't know that as much back in 2017. Kyrie at that time was the first part of the equation that I described, especially for me. I just go, I love watching this guy play basketball. He's playing alongside my favorite player, LeBron. They have brought a championship to Cleveland, the first professional championship in 50 years for that city. They're a match made in heaven. LeBron, the all-around basketball savant that can do anything and everything. He covers up the warts of Kyrie's game. And Kyrie is the perfect complement to LeBron. Because LeBron does everything and anything, there are times when you just want to say, can somebody else take the ball and go torch this other team for a little while while I take a breather on the court or on the bench? And Kyrie was perfect for that because we know he's a microwave oven. Oh. You need me for the next three minutes to score? Here's 15 points, right? We've seen that throughout Kyrie's career. Now, in 2017, kind of out of the blue, we find out there's a bunch of discontent in Kyrie's heart. And he forces his way out of Cleveland because he's mad about various things. And turns out he doesn't like playing with LeBron. And he doesn't like that he doesn't get as much credit as he feels like he deserves. And so 
He's going to go and play on his own team. He's going to show everybody that he's not just merely LeBron's sidekick, and he can go and do what LeBron does for another team. So he forces his way out. The Cavs trade him. Or a haul in retrospect that is very strange. Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, if you remember him, and a draft pick that ends up being Colin Sexton. You're just looking at, in basketball terms, not really a fair compensation for Kyrie Irving, but it's also a dude who's been often injured and has just kind of been strange in the years that he's floated around outside of LeBron and hasn't been that impactful when you look at winning team basketball. Now, from my vantage point, again, I follow the Cavaliers very closely because I followed LeBron's career very closely. My vantage point at that time, it was one of the more perplexing things that has happened as I watched the NBA. Because I superimposed my own understanding of motivation for myself onto Kyrie. I put myself in his shoes and I said, what would I want if I were here? And I said, I would want this. I'm making a ton of money. I am playing next to the best player in the NBA. Again, one that is willing and able to cover up all of my warts. I've won an NBA championship. I've played for two more in the NBA finals. One of those we very well could have won, except for I fractured my kneecap in game one of the 2015 NBA finals, a series that ends up going six games without Kevin Love or Kyrie. And in retrospect, I think if Kyrie is playing that series, it amounts to a coin flip. But I look at all that and I go, how would I ever want to leave this if I'm Kyrie? It seems like the perfect unison of those three things. I got the money. I got the notoriety. And the situation is picture perfect for me. Now, again, I'll make a note. This could very well come from me never being in a situation like this. I've never been in a position in my life where I've been seeking after the best of all three of those things, best of my abilities, the best of what I can get them. However, I'm always perplexed as I get into my armchair psychologist mode. I'm always perplexed how often somebody can be in a situation where they seemingly have the best of those three things, yet they want more. It's that just trait that almost all of us have, and sometimes we don't even know it till we're in the situation where you rewound three years ago and said, this is what you have, and it's more than enough. Are you content with that? You would say, absolutely. And then you get into the situation and you go, no, 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 I want more. Just something within the human brain that spurs us down that path. So Kyrie, at that time, he, he identifies that in his mind. His first three years in the league, he'd lived the losing lifestyle. It was just him on a team of nobodies. They were atrocious. LeBron had left them. They're well under 500 every year. Then LeBron pens the letter, puts it out in Sports Illustrated. I'm coming home, going to bring Cleveland championship. Kyrie, he's going to be a big part of that. And he was, to his credit, he was awesome next to LeBron. And he led the winning lifestyle the next three seasons. Two NBA Finals appearances, one NBA championship. And at this point, Kyrie wasn't content with what people were saying about him. He'd hit one of the biggest shots in the history of the NBA Finals, the three in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. And he's going, oh. but everybody still talks about LeBron, and I just don't feel like I'm getting my proper due. The notoriety aspect for him, it wasn't checked. So he wants his own team. He wants more credit. 
You want something else maybe that wasn't identified? I don't know. There's a lot of things that went into that uh, decision from him. So it goes to Boston, and it's a total flameout. I mean, one of the most disastrous tenures that we've seen from star transitioning teams. I feel comfortable saying within that time, based upon his early Cleveland days, that time frame, uh, Kyrie, again, an incredibly gifted offensive basketball player, but he needs somebody there that can cover him up in ways that he needs to be covered up if you want to be winning at the highest level. And that is true for 95% of players in basketball. That is not a knock on Kyrie. There's a handful of maybe 10, 15 players. Actually, probably not in 15. I'd say 10 players that I'm comfortable going, if you just put this player on a team, they can drag the most out of them. And if you give them a little bit of help, yeah, maybe they can be in position to win NBA championship. That's not Kyrie. And this disastrous tenure in Boston, I think, strangely enough, kind of maybe, even if he's unwilling to admit it, I think it leads him to identify that in his mind. So he goes to Brooklyn and decides to recreate, very smartly, if I'm being fair, what he had with LeBron in Cleveland. I'm going to hitch my wagon to one of the best players in the league, Kevin Durant this time, who again can cover up a lot of my warts and accentuate my strength, the ability to score the basketball against anybody. Kevin Durant possesses that exact same skill. And in the brief times we've seen those two play together, we know that that is an overwhelming thing for NBA defenses to try and stop. It's interesting. It's a full circle revisitation of what Kyrie said he didn't want in 2017. No, I want my own team. I want all the notoriety. I want all the money, but I want the best situation. And I think Kyrie, again, maybe even if it's only subliminally, has understood, I can't be in the best situation if I am the best player on my team. That is not a championship caliber basketball team. So now we're back to where the motivation makes sense to me. I'm superimposing my own thoughts and my own desires onto others, what I look for in my own life. But now it makes sense. Oh, yeah, you're in a great situation, Kyrie. You're making a bunch of money. You're playing with a star that can do a lot for you. And now if you guys can ever get healthy, you go out and you try and win. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But I feel comfortable saying Brooklyn at full strength. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they ended up winning an NBA championship at some point. So now we start to expand. The NBA, it's overflowing with players like Kyrie, players that I struggle to understand their motivation. It's a league that doesn't make a lot of sense when I'm juggling those three things. Money, notoriety, situation. And I go, I don't know what most of these players want. James Harden, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Ben Simmons, I have no idea. Zion Williamson, who's in the news because he threw a windmill slam that looked awesome in some practice gym. I haven't even seen him play basketball in who knows how long. I don't know if he wants to. I don't know if he can. I don't know where he wants to play. I don't know any of the answers to any of these motivational questions for a lot of players within this league. However, football, for the most part, has been more understandable to me from an individual motivation perspective. And part of that might be because the way that the NFL is structured from a contract perspective, from a salary cap perspective, there's less ability, there's less wiggle room for players 
to superimpose their own motivations to the 10th degree onto teams. So it's less about doing what Harden and Simmons did and just going, I want out and I'll just sit around until then. NFL teams possess more power within that uh, dynamic. And so we see things that make more sense because that's just the way that it has worked historically within the NFL. Peyton Manning going to Denver, that makes sense. He's played his whole career with Indianapolis, but they draft Andrew Luck with the first pick because Peyton had been injured the year prior. You don't want those two quarterbacks on the same roster. Peyton wants to win. Peyton wants money. Peyton wants his own situation. All understandable. Denver wants, or Indianapolis wants the same thing for Andrew Luck to try and grow. Trade him to Denver. Great. Here you go. Best of all the worlds. Just a recent trade, Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. It's the same kind of understanding. Matt Ryan, he's sitting on Atlanta where he's played his whole career. And they go and start sniffing around to Sean Watson. And he's like, all right, well, if you guys don't want me here, put me in a place where I'm wanted. Put me in a place where I can try and win. Indianapolis, yep, that seems like a pretty good situation. Especially of all the ones that are left on the market, that seemed to me like the best situation for a quarterback to go into that has skill. There's a lot of things to work with at your disposal. Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos, same kind of idea. There's a lot of examples of this over the course of time where the alignment of a trade and a player going somewhere or wanting out, it's made sense to me. I get paid. Uh, I'm going to have my own team. And the situation is going to be better for me here than it was there. Now, we transition to the two enormous trades of the last week. Two-star wideouts trading teams dominated the headlines amongst many, many other NFL tidbits. But as I look at them, I struggle to understand the motivation for the two individual players. Again, think of the three balls that I'm juggling in the air. Struggle to understand. Devontae Adams, he's now a Raider. Tyreek Hill, he is now a Dolphin. I'll start with Devontae. There are slights I understand and there are slights I don't. Again, this is me looking from a distance. Aaron Rodgers' press conference last offseason, that's a slight that I understand. I think he put that out there into the world and I followed his career very closely. So I've understood all of the talking points he brought up as he aired his grievances about why have I been in this stalemate with the Packers? Why have I not been satisfied with what this franchise is doing? Why do I think that they have not put me, the best quarterback in football for a decade? Why have they not put me in the best position to succeed? And he aired his grievances and they made sense to me. And I think it opened a lot of other people's eyes where they said, that makes sense. I actually kind of get where he's coming from. Now, the ways that Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill felt slighted by their former teams, it's a little harder for me to follow. Seems like it's just simply kind of a money issue, which great, good for them. If you want to chase money, that's your right, and you should do that. Again, that is your decision, and I will not get on your case for doing that. Where I struggle to understand is I think you can get pretty much the best of all three of the things, rather than selling out to get as much money as possible. Maybe selling out's not the right word. Chasing as much money as possible at the expense of especially situation. Devontae Adams, he's angry that the Packers wouldn't give him an extension sooner. He's been on record as saying, I want to be the highest paid 
receiver in football. Again, good for him. He should say that. He should want that. He's been one of the best receivers in football for the last four years. The Packers have been reluctant to give that to him for reasons that make sense. From their vantage point, they have been reluctant to lock down a player at a position that's value is dependent upon quarterback until they had a guarantee from their quarterback that he indeed was willing to be locked down. That's part of the ripple effects of this Rodgers saga. And in, in a way that I'm sure he didn't want, but it was inevitable because this has dragged out for so long, years. Uh, Rodgers, in a roundabout way, ended up hurting his own case to try and build a better situation around himself. Because the Packers, I think, said, look, the thing that we're not going to do is pay a wide receiver market-setting money then have Rodgers walk or want to trade, and now we have Jordan Love throwing ducks into the ground as Devontae Adams makes $30 million a year. That doesn't make sense from a roster-building perspective. So Devontae's not happy about this. And this offseason, it comes to light, actually just, whoa, I come off the golf course and he's traded. Now I'm finding out, yeah, there's bad blood still there from that last year, a year ago. And despite the fact that the, Rod or the Packers, now that they had Rodgers completely locked down, said, we'll pay you whatever you want. We're trying to win now. We think you're a big part of this. Whatever the Raiders are trying to give you, we'll even give you more. He said, nope, not enough. The, the wounds here are irreparable. And I'm going to play with my college teammate, David Carr. Derek Carr, sorry. So demands a trade. Packers acquiesce. He is now a Las Vegas Raider. So I mentioned the last four years. One of the best receivers in football. He's been first team all pro the last two years. If you look at his statistics, they are comparable to literally anybody in the history of football over the last four years. I mean, it's been an incredible statistical run. Starting with this most recent season, just want to read you his catches, his yards, his touchdowns for the last four years. 123 receptions. 1,550 yards, 11 touchdowns two years ago, 115, almost 1,400 yards, 18 touchdowns, which led the league the year prior, 83 catches, 1,000 yards, five touchdowns the year prior, 111 receptions, almost 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns. Again, you won't hear anybody say, I don't think this guy is not one of the best receivers in football. He just is. He's been awesome. Now, let's... Put a little caveat on the situation. And I am not saying this as a diss on Devontae Adams. He's been awesome. I've greatly enjoyed watching him as a Packer. He has been great for the career of Aaron Rodgers. But his quarterback has been Aaron Rodgers. A mutually beneficial arrangement for both parties involved. I think anybody, including the two people that I'm talking about, would understand that. So now as I think about motivation and I go, all right, if I were in Devante's shoes, what would I be thinking about as I seek to maximize my ability to earn money, notoriety that comes with that and being good, and the situation that puts me in the best position to succeed individually and on a team level? If I were in his shoes, I would say, I play a position that is completely dependent upon who my quarterback is. So who is my quarterback? And if it's Aaron Rodgers, I'd say, okay, I, I think I, I want to stay here. How much money are you willing to give me? As much as anybody? Okay. Then it seems like I am set. Despite the fact that 
Maybe there were some tense and unfortunate negotiations a year ago, and I wasn't pleased with the Packers' actions. Seems like I would be willing to lay down my arms in a way that Rodgers did with the Packers as they kind of acquiesced to a lot of the things that he said. You want to understand the concept of a wide receiver is dependent upon their quarterback. Just go back to last year and you can go on to NFL Game Pass and you can watch the Chiefs and the Packers, the game that Rodgers had to sit because of COVID protocol. And you can watch Devontae Adams try and do anything with Jordan Love as his quarterback. And it just really wasn't happening. I mean, Devontae was targeted 14 times in that game. He ends up only catching six balls because Jordan Love was his quarterback. Those were for 42 total yards. His lowest yardage output of the season. Again, I I know nobody will do this, but if you really want to think about this and understand it, go back and watch the caliber of throws that were going out. And Devontae would do what Devontae does. Quick blow by. Oh, he's wide open on a slant. Oh, no. The ball's 10 feet over his head. Oh, he's got a back shoulder available. Well, Jordan Love's not really on the same page throwing back shoulders with Devontae Adams. It's the stuff that Rodgers and Adams had made look seamless for years. And if he's getting 14 targets in a game with Rodgers, we know that amounts to 11 catches and 140 yards and two touchdowns because they're just, it's like clockwork. So now we go back to the trade and I go, this is where I get a little bit confused. There are parts of it I understand from Devontae's perspective. Would I be worried about how long Rodgers is playing with the Packers? Yes, absolutely. That's a completely valid thing. But I think you could work around that in a way that makes sense and say, all right, I want my guarantees tied into how long Rodgers is here and guaranteed. And if he's gone and I want to go back on the market, then I'll do that. Uh, Is it valid that Devontae would look at it and say, hey, I feel a little bit like Rodgers in the fact that we don't have any other wideouts. We haven't since I've been good. And when teams really want to, they can stop me because they'll just throw everything on their defensive roster against me. Go back and watch last year's Baltimore Ravens game where they're literally lining up two people over Devontae Adams. There's a bunch of screen grabs you can go and look at online. It's the most blatant double teaming in the history of double teaming where they just said, no matter what, you are not getting this pass. And if we get beat by Marquez Valdez Scantling or Alan Lazard or Randall Cobb or Equinemius St. Brown or anybody else, so be it. They can beat one-on-one coverage and do stuff. We'll tip our cap to them, but we are not getting shredded by the one guy who shreds everybody on this roster in the pass catching game. That's valid. But I think a workaround with that is saying Green Bay has shown with this Roger stuff with uh, some of these moves this offseason, they're, they're in it to win right now. That understanding seems reasonable to assume they're going to try and get as much help as they can everywhere. That's drafting a wide receiver in the first round for the first time since 2002. That'd be great. It's signing some people on the free agent market to try and shore up that number two spot. Great. The problem is, if the money is the same, how is your situation going to be better in Las Vegas? That's where I get lost within this whole discussion. The Raiders, yeah, reasonable football team. Derek Carr, very reasonable quarterback. He gets kind of the short stick because he's not a star, but he's a reasonable starting NFL quarterback, and I say that as a compliment, but it's not Aaron Rodgers. 
And it's a team still that has a lot of question marks. The Raiders. And if Devontae comes back to the Packers and their offensive line gets healthy, I go, you're in a conference that is significantly weaker than the AFC, which you now have moved to, to the hardest looking division in football. And you're in the NFC and you're in the NFC North, like the polar opposite of the AFC West. Just the Lions and the Bears and the Vikings. And the pathway to you being good and trying to win a Super Bowl from Green Bay looks significantly clearer than it does in Las Vegas. That's where I get lost. So that leads us into Tyree Kill, which is an even more perplexing case to me as I superimpose what I want onto somebody else. Again, they should make their own decisions, and they have, and I tip my cap to them. But I struggle to understand because I think you can kind of get the best of all the worlds in a way that neither Devontae nor Tyreek Hill have. Tyreek Hill, just like Devontae Adams, has been one of the best wide receivers in football for years. If you're looking at it strictly as just weapons, offensively, I would say Tyreek Hill is the most gifted offensive weapon in football for the last three, four, five years. There's nobody that I would want on my roster more than him. He is a stick of dynamite waiting to explode on every single play. Bubble screen, 80 yards, gone. Just run a flyer out, gone, end around, gone. I mean, we've seen so many Tyreek Hill game-changing plays that they just seem normal almost. Uh, Tyreek, this comes from The Athletic, but he joins the Chiefs as a fifth-round pick in 2016. During that time frame, Hill has led the league in recording 28 receiving touchdowns in which the ball traveled 20 or more yards in the air. That comes from Next Gen Stats. That's, again, the best in the league. The next closest over that time frame is Antonio Brown with 22. Tapping into that same vein of explosion waiting to happen, Hill has scored 20 touchdowns of 50 yards or more since entering the NFL. That's seven more than the next closest player. The most gifted offensive weapon in football for a half decade. He's been in the league six years. He's been a first-team All-Pro three different times. His last five seasons, much like Devante, just statistically speaking, are jaw-dropping, starting with last year. 111 catches, over 1,200 yards, nine total touchdowns the year prior. 87 catches, almost 1,300 yards, 17 total touchdowns the year prior. 58 catches, 860 yards, seven touchdowns. 87 catches, almost 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns. And the year prior, 75 catches, almost 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns. You see sustained production, year in, year out, touchdowns, yardage, all that kind of stuff. From a team perspective, even better than what Devontae had with the Packers. Tyreek Hill during his career, six-time AFC West champion. Every single year he's been there. Chiefs have won a Super Bowl. They have played for another. They've made the last four AFC title games. They've been the most successful team in the NFL for the last four years. Now, this is where I will jump in. And much like what I said about Devontae, I will say about Tyreek, and this is not a diss. His quarterback has been Patrick Mahomes. It has been a mutually beneficial arrangement. Tyreek Hill and that ability to explode it changes the geometry of the field for what Kansas City can do and what a defense has to respect. That is an incredible thing to have on your roster. Think of how Steph Curry 
warps the geometry of a NBA basketball court just by virtue of being on it. He could never touch the ball and players are guarding him 35 feet from the hole because they're going, we cannot give this guy any amount of space. It's the same concept with Tyreek Hill. He changes everything just by virtue of being on the field. When you have Patrick Mahomes on the field as your quarterback, who can make every conceivable throw from every angle, cross body, over here, over there, it takes your playbook from being a conventional NFL playbook, and it turns it into the Bible. It's 7,000 pages long with tiny print, and you can do literally anything, and a defense has to game plan for that. So now that's being swapped out because much like Devontae, Tyreek Hill felt slighted. It was an issue of money, as is the case many times. He wanted the most that he could get. Good for him. Great. He says, Devontae now is the highest paid receiver in football, and I should be because I've been the best weapon. And Chiefs, you need to pay me that, and I won't play next year unless I get a new contract that guarantees that. And the Chiefs, who are not in the same boat as the Packers, they're not ready to sell out and win right now because Mahomes is entering into his prime. They have a lot longer runway than the Packers do with Rodgers. And they're going, uh, we're not sure if we're willing to give market setting money to a wide receiver that is into his late 20s, the position that has not aged that gracefully, especially a player who is completely, completely built upon having the most top-notch athleticism and explosion possible. So negotiations, they don't go well. And Tyreek says, all right, you're not going to pay me the best or the most amount of money, then I want out. Which again is always strange for me. People can do what they want. I'm not getting on their case about doing it. But it seems weird to me. Because in a world where everyone is making money hand over fist, this always seems like the biggest deal. We were squabbling over $5 million here, $10 million there out of a $150 million contract. And that was the breaking point. To me, a person who has never been in this situation, I squabble over $3. It seems very absurd. And yet here we are with a lot of different players across a lot of different leagues. It's weird because I say, couldn't you have pretty much as much money? Well, you're already going to have as much money as you need. But let's say you subtract the $5 million or the $10 million you pretty much are getting the best of the money. We know you're getting the best of the notoriety, the fame. We know you have the best situation that an offensive skill position player could possibly ask for in the NFL. And now you're swapping that out for Miami, which I go, I, it seems very hard to believe that the grass is greener here. You are swapping out Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey, all at the very top of their individual professions. You're swapping that out for a lot of question marks in Miami. I mean, they have skill position talent. Him and Jalen Waddle, that's speed to earn all speed. Mike Gesicki's shown flashes. Okay, great. They signed Tron Armstead to try and short that offensive line. Good, I like that. But Tua's your quarterback. You're not shifting from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr, which is a downshift from the best quarterback to a reasonable quarterback. You're shifting from Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback, to Tua Tagovailoa, who in his career as an NFL starter has been such a below average player. Seems like the clock is ticking, and now the pressure is really on him because he's got a good situation around him, 
And it's going to all be on his shoulders to show I can be an average NFL quarterback. I can be maybe Derek Carr, even a little bit better. How is the shift that is occurring from Tyreek Hill moving the Chiefs to the Dolphins, how is it? How, how, how does that make sense? How is it possible to find a better football situation than what he was in for an explosive skill player? And now going and having Tua pea shoot a bunch of passes to him. Now, we'll wrap everything up. There's a lot of things that are going into these equations from individual perspective, from team perspective. Um, and I might be proven wrong on a lot of the things that I think. That happens all the time. I, I readily admit that. However, I am always so wary about paying top dollar for skill position players that are deeper into their careers. The idea that you're paying more for past performance than future performance. We have a trillion examples of that happening at the running back position, at the wide receiver position, in the history of the NFL. It's a sport that is all about speed, all about explosion, all about physicality. It is one that takes a toll on the human body exponentially compared to just a normal aging arc that occurs to somebody like me that is not getting blasted by 240-pound players that run four 640s day in, day out. There's a lot of gambles that are going into this equation. All four teams here, they are taking risks, some more calculated than others. The Raiders and the Dolphins, they are trusting that history is wrong. They are taking a gamble that what tips us over the edge is paying top dollar market setting money to the wide receiver position, to two players that have been amongst the best at their position for the last four years. But they also utilized a situation that was really, really, really good for them. And now that's not going to be as good. The Raiders, I still think they have a reasonable offensive situation. From a team perspective, not totally sold. Miami, who are placing a lot of eggs into the Tua Tagovailoa basket. Going to be interesting to watch Tyree Kill change the geometry of the field, but then have the onus placed onto Tua to put the ball into his hands now that he is in these situations. Going to be very interesting to watch, and that is a really big gamble on Miami's part. The other two teams that are involved, Green Bay, Kansas City, it's a gamble. The calculated risk that we can retool on the fly. The pressure is more on Green Bay than Kansas City. Again, the runway is much longer because Mahomes is in his mid-20s. And if things go according to plan, he'll have 10 years playing at this high of a level. Green Bay, they've got a couple years with Rodgers. They got to draft wideouts. They got to sign in for agency. They got to do something because they're trying to win a Super Bowl within the next couple years. And then their cap sheet goes to hell. And it's rebuilt. But they're also saying, the history of the NFL tells us, eh, you don't want to pay this money. In Green Bay's case, they were willing to because they knew they're in the win-now window for the next couple of years. Kansas City said, eh, we're not willing to do that. But both teams are arriving at a point where they go, we trust in our front office. We'll be able to draft. We'll be able to develop. We'll be able to sign free agents. And we can make up for this. The individuals involved, Neither of them is taking a gamble off the field because both of them got what their hearts desired, which, great, happy for them. 
They both got top dollar. But once you get something, again, the human mind, how does it work? I want everything. I, I want more. And, and so now you've ratcheted the money up to the highest possible degree. But you're going to be in drastically different situations with drastically different quarterbacks throwing you the football. And they're taking a gamble that on the field, they're going to be able to produce the level they have been at a position that A, is dependent upon who the quarterback is, and B, has not aged gracefully for players that get past the middle of their primes. A lot of questions that go into this. A lot of, lot of things that I find to be fascinating. Again, motivation first and foremost, but just the team building mechanisms, how much they make sense in present day, what everybody is desiring. I mean, I could talk about this stuff till the end of time. I think it is so interesting. But with all of these teams, all these players, we're arriving at the question of the next few years. One that I have thoughts on, you know. I think the Chiefs approach will prove right. I think Miami's approach is not gonna prove right. The Packers, the Raiders, I'm still kind of torn, but I understand where both are coming from. I'm not sure either one won that trade, just based upon the pressure to win now with Green Bay and the fact that the Raiders aren't necessarily one wide out away from being a Super Bowl contender, and now your cap is tied up in that. It's a lot of questions that I have thoughts on, but we don't actually know. And, and that's going to be the question of the next few years. It's going to shape the NFL. Just simple. Who will be right and who will be wrong? Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Please subscribe to the show. Please download it. Please rate it and review it. Go give it five stars. Go give it a nice little review. Uh, all those things are very helpful and, and help spread the word about this show. Now, go about your day in peace. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.